What's up, my radical friend? We're here again. That's pretty tubular. Yeah. <laughs> is, right. is there a reason you changed your name this week? <laughs> um, you know, I'm just it's just an homage to a certain era. I love it. I love it. Very you, why, you are, why I'm wearing bright neon. Right. Yeah. It's a very radical. I, I, I should have break it. I should have broken out one of my like flat brim old school like New Mexico hats that I have lying around. But I almost grew a mullet just for this episode. You know, I've been in, I've been tempted to cut a mullet just for funsies anyway. So maybe that'll be a treat for next week. <laughs> yeah, you could certainly pull off a mullet in, uh, in, in quarantine era. Cause like the zoom, you know, one would just never turn your head sideways. You gotta, you gotta have good, uh, straight, uh, straight well, eyes. I, I already went, uh, both like Euro trash Mohawk and SLC punk Mohawk during this. And for the most part, just people don't bring it up right now. They just sort of go, whatever. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. I, 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 know I thought it was more faux hockey. I thought that was the term. No, the first one was like a landing strip. And then the second <laughs> one was like a real life, just the center of my head, but not very straight. It was a good time. I enjoyed it. So how are you now, Jer? I'm doing pretty good. Last night, we did the backyard movie party for my son. And I borrowed a friend's screen. I disconnected my projector from the living room, found a re- AV receiver, used my Bose 420 speakers from like 1992. Those and yeah. um, and uh, what was the other things? Uh, and an old Apple TV we had. And they, uh, him and his friends watched Hamilton in the backyard. How did it go? They had a blast. It was so fun to see it working and just see the kids having fun and like getting to do something that kids should be able to do and yeah. do it safely and all that. And, and not not to be too behind the scenes, but I got to to experience a very sweet moment because we were on the phone together and you were explaining to your oldest son how to cut speaker wire so you could run it. And it was like I was like, oh, that's nice. What a nice moment this is. Like you guys are doing stuff. Well, that, that was the, that was the highlight part. No, it was, it was great. It was great. Although, unfortunately, I didn't actually really get to show him how to do the speaker wire thing. And also, in my head, the whole time I was doing it, I'm like, "This is this is about as good as learning cursive." Like, you don't need <laughs> yeah, anymore. Right? Yeah, that's one of those. Like, even when you were explaining what a spiel, like a, a spool of speaker wire is, I was like, "Then he'll never ever have to use ever." Like, right. <laughs> Right. It's, it's in there with my S-video cables and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which is, by the way, actually where I had to go. S-video? No, but that pile of stuff. Which, oh, the pile. Which is still not, of course, toilet paper or roll organized. But one day, JT, one day. It should be. You know you've got them lying around. There's no reason not to do it, man. No. I'm telling you. But of all the things I have free time for, that ain't one of them. What, what about you, buddy? How about you? How you doing? It's just been a work week, man. It's been one of those weeks where work is a, is is the thing. So yeah. it's been a lot a lot of work this week. Uh, it's very hot here, which is good. Um, been riding the bike, but otherwise, you know what? For the most part, it's been a heads down, hang out inside, chill with the family. Uh, what what is fun is last weekend we did Christmas in July for no apparent reason. Because you could. Because there's nothing else to do, right. and so and so we made gingerbread houses and we watched Elf. One of the most rewatchable films from our podcast. So I've heard. Uh, we also, uh, what else did we do? We decorated the tiny little tree that lives in my older daughter's room. Uh, we made presents for all for everybody. We made bignou lattes, which is a family thing that we do. It's an Italian family thing that we do. They're basically like little calzones, for lack of a better term, mm. with like 
onions and uh, like ground beef. We did sausage. We did one with pepperoni for my daughter. It's delicious. It was nice. It was actually a really nice time. You know, I love the calzones. There's no reason not to. It's also like one of those things my wife brought up, which is a good point. You have all this stuff and you only use it for such a short window of time. Like you should do it every six months when your kids are young because it's like they don't know. It's just fun. It was a good yeah. time. Listen, the gingerbread family needs a summer home. They have to. They have to. <laughs> not the gumdrop buttons. Uh, so speaking of weird movie references, uh, I want to jump in because we've gotten uh, quite a bit of feedback, all of it positive to this point, which is great. Uh, so usually this is the point in the show where we would talk about the thing we love. And the thing that we love this week, Jeremy, is our podcast. The <laughs> podcast we love. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who have not checked out last week's yet, uh, we are doing a five-part series of the top five summer blockbusters from each decade last week. We did pre-1980s, so this week we're going to do 1980s. And instead of belaboring any time because of how exhaustive both of us know this list is about to be, we thought we would save every single moment and just get straight into the meat of it. (laughs) We're in. And uh, look, just to give us a nice little um, tie-in from the previous conversation to this one, I'm going to sneak preview one item from my list being a Christmas movie. I'm just I'm just dropping the mic right there, and we'll 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 see which one I'm talking about a little later. Well, that's uh, good because now I now I I know which one I can take off my top my list. <laughs> maybe you do, maybe you don't. We'll have to see. So uh, let's start off with our with our ritual, which is the Shawshank test. Now, uh, for those of you who did catch last week's episode, we've definitively removed the entire Star Wars fran- Star Wars franchise from discussion. They're just too big. Um, we might actually have to do a similar ruling on Marvel movies in the night in the in this decade. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But the Shawshank test remains, and, and again, the reference here being when we we're discussing the most rewatchable movies of all time, we had to agree that Shawshank is the most rewatchable movie because it's basically always on TNT. And if you ever turn and it's on, you must watch it. So we're gonna remove it from consideration. It's just like an honorary special status. So the question is, is there a Shawshank movie of the 1980s, the definitive summer blockbuster, right? That, that's how we would call that, the definitive summer blockbuster of the 80s. Yep. I do not have a Shawshank contender for this week. I do not. Because the 80s were so ripe with, with action and other... Actually, not all even my movies are action. But because the, the, the decade... Now, I considered... I'll tell you where my mind went... And then, I, then, then I'm leaving it over to you, as I, I I considered throwing Top Gun itself as the definitive '80s blockbuster, but I did not at the end of the day. So I think that's fair. That's not so. I that's not the one that I want to recommend. Okay. I actually have two that I think Ooh. we should consider. Deuce, go for it. What are they? I'm not going to say any one of them in case they do exist on your list. Okay. There are two series of movies that exist primarily in the 1980s that all five could have a place on the list. Well, I'm pretty sure I know what three of them are, and I'm thinking very quickly about the other two. Okay. um, if, If that's true, then the three are definitely one, at least one of the three is in my list. Okay. So let's just leave it then. So then let's agree there's no Shawshank and that's fine. Okay. All right. Let's do it. And I think I kicked off last week, sir. Let, I think we need to make sure everybody gets this. How old were you in the 80s? 
Depends on when, <laughs> but in general, I was not a person. <laughs> I was born in 85. <laughs> right. For me, everything on my list will be a movie I saw in theaters. And oh. I think that context, by the way, everything that didn't make my final cut, I also saw in theaters because it was the eighties. <laughs> right. uh, I'm just giving that because I think that's going to really change the way we think about some of these things. A lot of mine are going to have that like nostalgia of when I even saw it element where yours are movies that that maybe maybe you were too young to watch, but like they just became so ingrained in your life. Uh, yeah, for sure. But I think that disclaimer on knowing that is important for our audience. Sorry for cutting off there, JT, but I, I thought it was important. No, that's actually very important um, because I, I did not see any of this in, in theaters at all. I think the only movie that I saw in theaters in the 1980s would have been Bambi. Um, so Never see Bambi. Well, yeah, actually, uh, one of my mom's favorite stories is I stood up in the theater and screamed, run, Bambi, run, <laughs> in the first five minutes. And she's like, oh, great. That's a forever memory. Good job. Yeah. Um, okay. So before I get into my list, I want to do a really, really fast top 10 on my side, because again, I went too long, but I'm going to run through them of movies that were not summer movies that I wanted very badly to be on this list. I have the same list. <laughs> So all right, we're going to go with yours, and then I'll catch up with whatever you missed. Okay. So I have Raging Bull, which yep. was 1980, Terminator, 84, yep. October 26th, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, December 1st, 1984. Yes. Okay. Platoon, December 24th, 1986. Forgot it, but yes. Lethal Weapon, March 6th, 1987. Yes. Princess Bride, September 25th, 1987. It was so yes. close that I had to text you today and go, when did we say the boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> um, this one, so Beetlejuice, March 30th, 1988. Uh, and, and then the last one is, so Breakfast Club, just because it's Breakfast Club. Right. Uh, say anything because it's say anything. Although neither of those I wanted to be summer movies. They're just, Breakfast Club has a summer movie element because they're like in summer school and in trouble. Sure. Uh, and then the last one is one is my favorite Disney movie of all time that I don't think anyone has really seen, but it's called Oliver and Company, and it came out in 1988. Oh my, that was yeah. like before the Disney Renaissance, even. Yeah, so that's it's actually it's Bette Midler and Billy Joel, and they're a dog and a cat in New York City, and it's like it, as a city kid, it, it hits very close to home to me. But uh, so that that was my those are the the things I had on the list. What did I miss? Uh, you missed the following, and, and and I apologize. I didn't get to make a note next to all of the ones you said, um, but I'm going to limit this to things that you might have thought really would have been a summer movie. Um, Rocky Four, which oh, was like okay. a big '80s uh, yeah. you know, thing. Um, Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, which '80s fans definitely remember, and you've probably never heard of. Uh, oh. You said Princess Bride, right? Yep. Uh, Bill and Ted's. Thought Bill, about Bill and Ted's, Bill but and didn't Ted's. feel. Okay. Yeah, could have been a summer movie. Uh, Good Morning Vietnam also could have been a summer movie. I think. I think it could have easily fit that fit that bill. Uh, yeah. Romancing the Stone should have been. A, sounds like a summer movie. Um, and uh, and and Footloose. Uh, oh, sorry. And Field of Dreams also both not both seem like they could have been summer movies. Yeah, Field of Dreams. I, I forgot about that one. Footloose. I wouldn't have was was is not a movie for me. So. In, in a moment of, by the way, since you're bringing this up and I, I want to talk about this later, but let's do it right now. What's really fascinating and, and it shows how the 80s really formed the summer blockbuster while looking at things like you mentioned Lethal Weapon, you mentioned Terminator, the number of movies where their sequels became summer blockbusters 
is insane. Like over and over again, there was a December release. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was so my, my, so uh, yeah, I, I have another list that we'll get to later. All right. But for, but for now, let me start with my number one. So I'm going to go chronologically, not for any reason other than it gives you the opportunity to jump in or out if you want. I don't okay. know. Like, I'm not, I'm not suggesting we should both do it, but instead of like jumping all over the place, I figure that way, if you want to follow a pattern, you'll be able to know if you want to sneak one in on me because you, you're afraid I'm going to have it. This is your, this is how you can do so. I hear you. I don't, I don't know if that's what I'm going to do, my friend. Now, um, I, again, I, I keep feeling like giving the, giving the person a hint and seeing if they guess it seems like a fun thing, but we got a lot, we got a lot of ground to cover. So if you want to roll that way, I'm in. I have some stuff. So, so there's a couple that I want you to guess, and there's a couple that I don't think. But I also have given myself little notes of things I do want you to guess. Okay. Throughout some of the fun trivia of some of the stuff I picked. Go for it. So this one, uh, so very quickly, June 11th, 1982, grossed $425 million, which if you adjust for fl- inflation is $1.2 billion on a $10 million budget with nine Oscar nominations and four wins. Do you know what this is? I'm pretty sure that's E.T. It's E.T., bud. Yeah. E.T. is like a seminal movie. Like, it's just, it's E.T. So, like, it's, I, I don't have a ton. There's a lot of really cool trivia about it. But, like, realistically, it's one of those movies I remember the first time I saw it as a kid. I remember being amazed by it. Um, I remember thinking it was so, like, sort of special. Um, tying into the podcast last week, here comes Spielberg again. Right? <laughs> so, he was in Jaws. He's going to need a bigger movie. I'm going to need a bigger mantle. He's got a lot of Oscars. I, I think he, I think he's done both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got space. He'll be fine. Uh, so things that I thought were, were kind of cool. Uh, so just there's a couple of funny things in, in researching this. So uh, E.T.'s face was actually modeled after the poet Carl Sandburg, Albert Einstein, and a pug dog. That made me laugh. Hmm. Um, so most people know that there was a two foot, like he was t- two feet, 10 inches tall as a stuntman that did most of the work, but in scenes in the kitchen, which are like some of my favorite scenes, it's actually a 12 year old boy who didn't have legs, but was an expert on walking on his hands, which was crazy. I was like, that's so like, I didn't know that. Um, long before this was a thing, uh, <laughs> uh Spielberg, uh, confirmed that ET was non-binary. He was neither male nor female. He was more of a plant like object. The woman who voiced E.T. was a chain smoker who made $380 in totality for her part of the film. <laughs> and earned every penny. Earned every single penny. <laughs> uh, it was the highest grossing film until 1993 when Spielberg beat it again. Uh, you can guess which one if you want, but I don't want to say which because sh- that might wind up in the 90s list. Uh, and then last, so the two more, the last one. Or the second last one, Eminem's had a chance to be in this movie, and the Mars executive said that he was too ugly of a character. Right. right. And now you get the Reese's Pieces thing, which I thought was awesome. Uh, and then lastly, which I I had heard this and then saw it when researching, and now I want to go back and watch it. So the most interesting fact, I tried to pull the most interesting fact for each one of these. Spielberg shot the majority of this movie from eye level of a child so that you felt more like you were closer Uh. to Elliot and E.T. than from like the higher thing. And I started thinking about a bunch of scenes and I'm like, oh, my God, like he really did. Like a lot of that film is low. It's very low. I never thought about that. That's so I thought that was so neat. 
Um, and then my last thing on this, a quick shout out to Short Circuit, which was just a worse version of E.T. <laughs> that was done in 1986, but is a favorite movie of my sister and, of, and mine. And it's my sister's birthday today. So it, it feels like good timing to give us a Short Circuit shout out. <laughs> Johnny Five is alive forever. Johnny Five is alive. I'll tell you a couple of things about E.T. First, it scared the crap out of me as a kid. This really? movie in the theaters. Now, I, uh, what year was it? 82? 82. So I was like eight or nine. And, you know, going to the theaters then was, even though theaters now it's like more of a production, but in a way then it was just a little bit more special. I can't even describe it properly. I, I'll never give that justice. But going to the movies was more of a big deal than it, than it is today. Well, today it's a very big deal. But, but you know, in recent times. Um, the movie was so realistic and the scenes with the, with, when the, when the doctors and the scientists and all these people start showing up and there's like, they're wearing hazmat suits and there's lights everywhere. Going back to what you just said, which ties it together nicely is like from the eyes of a child, that was a scary, scary sequence. Like mm. it's filmed in a way that's meant to disorient you a little bit, right? It's a quick yeah. pace. It's almost that shaky cam thing. And which by the way, I hate, uh, it really created like this, sense of like something is very wrong and scary and i remember really really not liking that part at all uh and it never it's one of those movies i haven't rewatched a lot i think probably as a result of that interesting yeah the, the speed of film in that movie is actually something that like is, is spoken about a lot because there's a lot of like quick jarring movements and then thinking about it in the sense that it was also filmed so low which gives you like now thinking back to the hazmat scene when you're at like you're at knee level i imagine being a kid in the theater it probably was almost too close to home that's really yeah. interesting actually now um I, i'll give you one of my favorite sort of not trivia but just thoughts about et have you heard this one before um et is a jedi yeah, so there's a cool, yeah, the cool yeah. reference that he's actually in that they're from the same place because when he sees Yoda, and then the, in one of the is it Phantom Menace when he sees him again, like there's a, there's ET is in in the back of one of the scenes. So in, yeah, in Phantom Menace, it's established that there are ETs in the Star Wars universe, and in ET, there's someone wearing a Yoda suit for for Halloween, and ET recognizes the Yoda suit. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, E.T. somehow magically flies, much like a Jedi would. Yeah. And so there's this kind of grand unifying theory that's like, yeah, so I guess uh, I guess he was a Je he was a Jedi. It's I a love great, that. That's a great, great Easter egg. It's like actually held up. It's you don't even need to stretch anything. It's like, well, they sort of establish it, right? Yeah, no, they just they literally <laughs> do. They walk it all the way out for you. <laughs> exactly. By the way, again, on an ageist thing, the Reese's Pieces knowledge was like mainstream knowledge at the time everybody knew that like like it was like the movie became big and that's when it was instantly revealed that Re like reese's like grabbed this spot that was supposed to be m&ms because oh, they were an cool. unknown candy at the time nobody ate reese's right. back then right that's cool yeah i didn't i like i knew that it was like lore but i didn't know that it was like culturally known i thought it was more like behind the scenes but yeah I, again born this is three movies this pre precedes me so all right, what's your number one? Uh, I don't have these ranked because, the, look, yeah. the, the movies, at some point I know we're going to do the, all right, what were all the other movies that kind of didn't make your cut but but should have been mentioned? And I have this list, uh, and it's ready to go anytime. But we'll hold on for now. So I'm going to try to maybe parallel yours with a, with a similar themed movie in a way. The Goonies. 
It's on my list. All right. Now, this was actually, as I was doing my list, you know, to be fair. To be fair. To be fair. This was the last entry on my list. Um, it was the most difficult spot to fill. I had the first three locked in pretty darn fast. And then four came in. And, and then eventually, I, I decided it was Goonies. And I have this, like, I have, like, stars and asterisks and, and question marks and exclamation points next to everything on my list to represent different things in my weird coded universe. And what happened with the Goonies is I basically put it there more out of the true nostalgia of what it was like to watch that movie than it actually being one of my five true favorites. There are several movies. Um, I'll give you an example of one that is not in my top five, but clearly is one of my personal top five movies is Caddyshack. Uh mm-hmm. It, it, it just sort of, I couldn't make it my summer blockbuster favorite kind of 80s movie, even though I love it so much. So Goonies is in because it just, it was like the first kid-oriented adventure movie. Like, there are all these articles now about how the Goonies could never be made in modern times and all these other things. I was in uh, Port, uh, not Portland, I was in Oregon a few years back we were staying in a place called Cannon Beach which happens to be about 30 miles south of Astoria which is where the Goonies was filmed the woman checking me in at the at the inn we stayed in was from Astoria and I'm like oh I was thinking about driving up to see stuff she's like truth be told it's just the house if you want to go outside the house and take a picture outside the house so you could say you went to the Goonies house go for it you will probably be otherwise disappointed I did not go Uh, I'll give you my favorite bit of trivia about the Goonies. Uh, I had this whole thing I was going to talk about Cindy Lauper for a while, but she made a great song and I, I kind of don't want to talk about it. Um, the coolest thing at all about the Goonies is how much do you know about that pirate ship? A decent amount. A decent amount? <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 the reveal is that the pirate ship was a reveal to the cast. None of the kids had seen it before. That sequence you watch, when you watch them seeing the ship for the first time, is actually the first take, the only take, and that was their true reaction to this fully built pirate ship sitting in the lagoon. So I'm going to correct you on one small thing. Ooh, ooh, I'm sorry. Yes. So they had to reshoot it. So it it's it is the reactions, but baby Josh Brolin dropped a holy sh when they first oh. shot it, and so they had to do a second shoot. So they did shoot it twice. Okay, but, <laughs> but it was the same. It was. It was a genuine reveal because they had never seen the pirate ship, which was actually a pirate ship. Right. Right. Awesome. I mean, again, every time I think this is one of those things where every time movies make people's like ultimate lists, like when we get to, when we get to talk about things like Lord of the Rings, why it'll make my cut instantly. It's the knowledge that when they were wearing chainmail armor, because they actually made chainmail armor to wear in the movie, this is when, when filmmakers do that work, when they, when they make it so legit and so real, it just takes the art up a notch. I think the actors can do their jobs better. Like I, I don't even know what it must be like to act in the green screen world. That's got to be challenging. But to yeah. imagine seeing a full pirate ship as like a 10 or 11-year-old actor on this great adventure, like, ah, yeah. it's been amazing. So the only other things I want to throw in. So I I have a list. My list is actually seven because I assumed we would have at least we, we would have at least two crossovers. So this one is on my could have been on the list. The only other things that I think are really cool about this. So Spielberg again was a story writer. Um, because you just mentioned really cool sort of like Easter eggs. 
So the person who did the adapted screenplay was Christopher Columbus, who later produced all the Harry Potter stuff, but also did Gremlins. And there's a reference in this movie to Gremlins when uh, Chunk calls the police station oh, right, and, he, and he hangs up and he's like, probably another prank, just like those guys saying something grows when you put water on them or whatever it is. Right. By um, the way, by the way, I saw the same research. Chris Columbus also did one of my favorite little movies. We'll have to do like five top five movies. The other person's probably never heard of or seen or something like that. Uh, young Sherlock Holmes. So that's a fair assumption, although I have seen it because I'm, I'm obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. So okay. I love Sherlock Holmes. You but know yeah, first, first use of CGI in a movie? I didn't know that. Ah. Interesting. Well, the other thing that's interesting from a filming perspective is Richard Donner was the actual director. It wasn't Columbus or Spielberg. Right. And Donner was like a monster, dude. He did The Omen. He did both Supermans. He did The Toy, Lethal Weapon 1 through 4. He did Radio Flyer, Lady Hawk. Like, he was like a, a, a dude for a long time. Oh, yeah. The other one little piece of 80s trivia, not trivia, but just good to note here, the Corys met on this film. Did they now? They met because Corey Haim actually was auditioning uh, for, the same port at, for the same part as Corey Feldman and didn't get it. But Feldman and Haim met on this and became friends while auditioning. Wow. That's a Kennedy. cool movie I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know you could stump me on Goonies trivia. That, that's a great one. I like it. I was also impressed at how big it was. It was 124 million. It's so adjusted for inflation. That's like $350 million. That was like a big movie. Yeah, it was uh it is ranked 817th of all time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I did some homework too, sir. Not just from the top of my head this time. I got some data. What's your uh so what's your number two? Two. So my number two, uh this this one was hard because I don't know that it really screams summer movie to me. However, it is one of my favorite comedies of all time. So I couldn't not put it on the list. It came out on June 8th in 1983. Um, let's see if I can. So there's a I'm trying to think if I can give you some hints without having you guess. Like that I, think would from, I think I've got it from the year. Go ahead. I'm going to go on the guess. I could be very wrong, but is it National Lampoon's Vacation? It's not. Good guess, Aren't though. It? No, but what it is is Trading Places. Ah, oh, so good. Like, so this good. movie is just one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Looking good, Billy Ray. <laughs> Feeling good, Lewis. Uh, it is just the best. Like, I-, I love this movie. The entire train scene is one of my favorite scenes. Speaking of things that you definitely couldn't do, we will note now that Dan Aykroyd does something that would never fly in sure. film anymore. Um, but he did it with Billy, <laughs> like he did it at the time, like with Eddie Murphy. So I don't know, I guess that's better. Probably not. <laughs> I, I would say you, if you were to take like the spirit of things into consideration and you know, the people themselves, I, I think you're right. You couldn't redo it, but I think you could also, it would be hard to argue anything anywhere, even close to positivity. Actually, I, I, I would assume Given how, and, and in the 80s, Eddie Murphy was a much more outspoken guy on these kind of topics. Given given all that, I would be surprised that it was not like heavily debated. And, I'm sure. Yeah. But you, you, then again, uh, who knows, right? Who knows? But yeah, this movie is just like, it's, it's, it's such a funny movie. It's so quotable. There's so many great scenes. It's so well acted. Um, so Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici both didn't know who... Eddie Murphy or Dan Aykroyd were, and both Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy didn't know who they were, which I think is really, really funny. <laughs> That's, <crazy. laughs> That's what they say. 
Um, so to a quick Easter egg, because we brought it up, Lewis's prison number in this film is the same as Jake Blue's number in Blues Brothers, nice. which was also played by Dan Aykroyd, which I think is fun. The most interesting thing, and I didn't know this until I researched it, and I love this movie, so I was a little bit surprised that I had never heard this. Originally, this was written for Wilder and Pryor. This was going to be a Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor movie. And Pryor backed out of it for whatever reason. And Eddie Murphy, who has a long storied history with sort of Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor, was like, I'm not going to do it with Gene Wilder because I don't want to be the next Richard Pryor. I just want to be Eddie Murphy. And this would have been a very different movie if it wasn't Dan Aykroyd because Aykroyd crushed this part. Yes. I mean, they, so, they all did. Every no Nobody was not perfectly cast, right? I don't, yeah. Paul Gleason, the, um, the 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 high school principal from uh, Breakfast Club, like yep. perfect in his role. I mean, even I assume by the way, John Belushi, uh, sorry, uh, Jim Belushi's role was probably originally John. Is that? I think it probably was supposed to be. I I, su- I don't know that for sure, but I assume it was. But but even there, like those few minutes he had on screen might have been some of his stand. Like he was great. And you just reminded me of something funny. So Al Franken, who's now a senator, it was when he had to put – well, right. Sorry. (laughs) Like when Al Franken, who was a senator, when he was was running for office, he had to put – he had to like put his financials out into the world. And when he did, it was revealed that he still gets royalties for this movie, for that that three seconds that he plays the – like he's one of the guys that's supposed to be watching the gorilla in the cage on the train. (laughs) That's crazy. So yeah, Trading Places. Love, Love this movie. One of my, I, it's probably one of my top quoted movies. And oh God! By the way, can we agree that the Easter egg in um, Coming to America oh. might, might be the single single best multi movie tie in or whatever you would call something like that of yeah. all time? I think it has to be. The other thing I love, which just you just reminded me of this. There's a moment in this movie where Eddie Murphy breaks the fourth wall and looks to camera, and I remember I remember like watching it and thinking. This is like it was one of the first times that someone that I saw that happen in a movie that otherwise wasn't actively doing that. Interesting. It's very quick though, right? It's a very it's quick two look. seconds. Yeah. It's like I'm trying to remember the actual scene, but it's like there's a moment where they're they're talking about food somehow and they're like explaining something to him, and he literally just like glances into camera and like rolls his eyes, like, really, these guys, and then looks back and they never they never reference it again, which is just such a it's such a cool little like moment. Huh. But yeah. Love trading places. Love it. Um, all right. Let's see. Do I have a proper follow-up to trading places? Because I think this is how I'm going to roll. Is I'm going to try to balance mine off yours in some some way. Love it. Um, here we go. It's a, I'll go with a, also a comedy starring um, another w- w- one of the leads of trading places is in this. Okay. Uh, it's had sequels. Yeah, I know what it is. Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's Ghostbusters. I have this on my list. <laughs> it's on your list. It's got to be on the list. Like this was so this this was the first one I put on my list. This was, this was my okay. That's that's the that's the one. Um, although I have I have another one that actually would have been my one, but I originally thought it came out in nine, in 1990, and I was wrong. So Ghostbusters uh, with a adjusted 667 million dollar gross, 37th mm-hmm. of all time. Um, and I believe if, if I did my research right, second highest from all of the 80s adjusted for all time beyond, be, behind E.T. alone. Um, also, I have a thing about the number 37, which is was taught to me by the Krikorians when I was working at Sling, which is it is the most commonly reoccurring random two-digit number you'll see. 
And having heard that, I promise you, my friend and all other listeners, you'll just start noticing a lot more 37s than you used to. It's kind of weird and it just keeps on happening. Like it. So knowing that most people know most trivia about Ghostbusters at this point, if they're any form of a fan, including how much of it was improvised and all sorts of other good things. And if you have not yet watched the Josh Gad Reunited Apart, I think that's what it's called, Reunited Apart. Uh, that's a great one. They're absolutely, it's just fun to watch them all banter with each other again. Here was the coolest trivia I could find to try to bring people something new. Did you know that Huey Lewis was offered to write the song and turn it down because he had just done Back to the Future? Uh, Kenny Loggins had been doing a lot of 80s songs and the producers approached uh, Ray Parker Jr. for the song of Ghostbusters, which Huey Lewis is not a fan of as he claims and with a little bit of research, probably pretty rightly so, it's basically a cover of I Want a New Drug. And so I will share the link with you after this call of the mashup someone did, layering on top of each other, uh, who you're going to call with the Huey Lewis song. And they are the same song. And I never knew that until today. That's crazy. So the only cool trivia that I didn't know, because Ghostbusters is also on my list, uh, is the list of people who turned stuff down for oh. this. Everybody is so, is so wild. So Vankman was written for Belushi, but he died while he was writing it. Eddie Murphy turned down Winston. Keaton turned down both Vankman and Egon. Chase turned down Vankman. And John Candy was supposed to originally play right. Louis Tully, which wound up getting played by Rick Moranis. Which, like, dude, like, just going through that list, I was like, first of all, there are so many heavyweights in that. And then, like, imagining this movie without this crew is so, it's so Impossible. weird. Yeah. Impossible. Uh, and also, yeah. I'm sure while you were reading it, there's uh, there was a whole thing. They basically, because of the way they got it funded, they had to script, film, and edit, and produce all in, in, in under a year. Yeah. Uh, they m wrote most of the script in like three weeks, and there's tons of improv throughout. Uh, it is actually, it's one of these movies that should have been a disaster, in fact, in, in every yeah. way. And instead, 37th. Yeah, well, and Ivan Reitman always talks about, like, I know that they've talked about, like, the fact that they were literally in the actual finished product. There's a bunch of, like, you can still see, like, wires and strings and stuff because they were editing up until release. And he's like, luckily, no one cared. <laughs> like, everybody was so excited. They're like, yeah, whatever. The My favorite piece of trivia, which isn't really Ghostbusters trivia, but it's just Bill Murray trivia, is people forget he, like, didn't make movies for three or four years after this. Right. Like, he moved to Paris and just, like, was gone. He was Did like thinking about retirement and then didn't come back until Scrooged. Oh, it was Scrooge. I thought it was What About Bob was his, was his comeback. I think it was Scrooge, but it, it could have been. been. No, I, I accept that. Uh, can we talk for just a moment? Not that we have enough side, side topics on, on today. Sure. Do, can we agree that there's no reason that the Ghostbusters reboot should have been as bad as it was? Like that cast. Yeah. With, first of all, they shouldn't have made it a reboot. They should have simply made it a, here we are 40 years later, whatever years later, and yeah. this new, these new scientists, smart young ladies are picking up where maybe their parents or their cousins or whatever. And, and it would have given them so much more range. Uh, yeah. The other, by, and by the way, my other gripe, and to be really clear, really clear, I thought the cast was phenomenal, but the, the characters were terrible. I don't know if you, if you watch it again and I, don't really recommend that you do. They're they're just four 
quirky scientists. They're not different from each other. Each one could have at any point said any one of their each other's lines. Where yeah. it was clearly supposed to be that Kristen Wiig was like Harold Ramis's character, but mm-hmm. there, but then there wasn't really a Venkman, and it was like it it was all the script. And I hope anyone who saw that movie gives discredit to the director and the script. And yeah, and, you know, I would actually I would love for them to reboot the reboot. Same cast, give them a, give them another shot at this thing. It would never happen, but but I'd watch that. Yeah, no, I I actually so I found that movie to be watchable, meaning I watched it once and will not watch it again. Um, there are moments that are fine. Uh, I I have real issues with that script. I thought that script was a bummer. Like, and it is a, it is a shame because everybody in that, even even the casting of Chris Hemsworth was really funny. Like, there was Hemsworth a lot of great. things. There were so many little pieces where I'm like, oh, this would be really good. And McKinnon is so funny, and was like the cast is so good. But just like everything was, it was very flat. The whole thing was very flat. I, by the way, I would I would argue, and I don't know anything if I, I, I've not done my homework. I would say that the humor that they found in Hemsworth is what made Thor Ragnarok work so well. Like I think I think he might have grown a little bit from doing this movie. Yeah, he might have because what what yeah what Tiki Wikipedia was able to do with that was like that Ragnarok. But whatever, that's a whole other thing. All right, uh, okay, three from you, sir. So three from now, I am now in the world of if you if we have one more, I'm going to have to pull a whammy because <laughs> you pulled right. two from my list, but that's okay. All right. Number three, uh, I would argue, is one of, if not the single most recognizable film from the 80s. It came out on June 11th of 1986. It only did 70 million, which inflated as 197. Um, but I think it's one of the best movies of all time. Uh, it is Matthew Broderick. It is Alan Ruck, who I adore so much. Uh, and it is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Love it. I, I mean, like, look, this movie, like, oh, and baby, don't forget about baby Charlie Sheen, who stayed up for 48 hours to look like he wound up looking like as a normal person, like 15 to 20 years later. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was just every, Charlie Sheen being, being older Charlie Sheen. Yeah, he literally, like, played himself. Like, he's like, I need you to be, so for, he stayed up for, like, 48 hours to look crazy. And it's like, dude, you just look like that in the future, by the way. Like, what if Charlie Sheen's the first time traveler? It's very possible. It could explain a bunch of things. Tiger blood, man. He's got that tiger blood. Um, I just think it's, like, a period-defining film. Obviously, Hughes needed to be on my list for some reason. If you say 80s, Hughes needs to be on the list. Um, you know, Alan Ruck was 29 when they shot this and he was like, surrounded. Really? yeah. <laughs> and Cameron is like arguably one of my favorite characters in any film ever. Um, the, when he sings, when Cameron is in Egypt land, let my Cameron go. It's still to this day. It's just one of those scenes that makes me laugh every time. Um, really quick fun facts that I don't think people know. There's a couple, most people I think know about this stuff, right? Like the Chicagoans dancing in the street that weren't actually a part, but he's decided to film them was cool. Um, like the, the one that everybody brings up, uh, which this would be right in the wheelhouse of how it should have ended. Like in the beginning of the movie, Ferris can't afford a car, but he has like a computer and has like a really nice synthesizer, which would have cost like $10,000 collectively, which would have been the cost of a new compact car in the 1980s. Don't, don't forget his ability to hack the high school uh, right. uh, detention system being in you know, the eighties, the only detention system to have moved online right. anywhere, anywhere. Um, the, the two things I thought were cool, well, so there's uh, three quick things. One, um, Hughes wrote the script in six days. That's absurd. Wow. Okay. Two, the filming of Ben Stein teaching the class was actually Ben Stein just teaching. Because oh, really? it, he, 
So, yeah, so Hughes said to him, like, Hughes was like, just teach. I'm not going to, like, write you a script. Just do what you would normally do if you were teaching. And so wow. that was just him teaching, which I thought was neat. Um, and then lastly, I didn't know this. So the restaurant scene, arguably one of the best, Abe Froman. Abe Froman. Uh, is the same restaurant from St. Elmo's Fire and the same restaurant from the Blues Brothers, which I thought was neat. How much for the women? I want to buy the little girl. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is like, again, Hughes, 80s, I think quintessential 80s. This is definitely maybe a generational thing where like this movie meant so much to people later on. It became such a cult classic that especially looking at like the budget, it, it didn't crush in the theaters. Like it did well. But I think nostalgia of this is a lot stronger. So being a 90s kid, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is like one of the most rewatchable films. Fair enough. I'd also argue, and though technically it, it is not the movie that did this, I'd argue it really drove home the value of the potential of the post credit scene. Yeah. The two things that this movie, I think, did, the post credit scene, this one, again, and it wasn't the first for either, post credit scene and breaking the fourth wall. Right. Like, this movie set the stage for a lot of other movies because it had commercial success. I think people were like, oh, yeah. But it's the Go Hall is really just a sequel to Ferris Bueller. Yeah, basically. Why and not? they were just biting, and they were both biting off a of Tracy Ullman who used to do this, who used to do the same thing and say, go home. But all the same, uh, it's a wonderful movie. And it's one that's, it's another one of those that I actually like when thinking of this, I was like, how did this not get on my rewatchables list? Oh, because, because there's too many to pick. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll give you another, I, I happen to have at my fingertips, another uh, great fan theory about, uh, about the movie. Ooh, go uh, on. There's a working fan theory that uh, Ferris and what, what's, what's the girlfriend's name? I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. What? Sloan. Sloan. In my head, I was like Portia or something. We, I knew it was like a weird name. Uh, Ferris and Sloan are uh, figments of Cameron's imagination. And that the entire movie is just him. I love that. And that they're different, <laughs> like they're, 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 um, I don't know the current term for multiple personality issues, uh, yeah. but that it's, it's him. Like when he's dancing on the streets, he's being Ferris and, and right. et cetera. And yeah, that, so it's like, it's like a fight club thing. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Uh, I think actually someone cut a trailer as if it's that that's how it is. And there's something else that, that people notice. I can't remember the exactness, so you'll have to Google it if you listen this far, which is that they, uh, there are characters who don't ever actually talk to each other, even though you think they do. So the, uh, the principal and Ferris, when, or, or yeah, anytime they're on the phone together, they never actually, one of them's never speaking. So there you go. Yeah, that's actually, that's legit. Uh, and then the last thing, as a car lover, I will say, uh, no Ferraris were were harmed in the filming of this. They were actually just MGs that they fixed. Oh, thankfully. <laughs> all right, what's your what's your next one, Jer? Um, all right, I'm going. I'm going to the one that I'm pretty sure was was your Shawshank, which is uh, so the trilogy would be the Raiders of the Lost Star, the Indiana Jones trilogy. Yep. My selection will. Oh. Yeah, this was the data point I had wrong before. Raiders itself was the was the next highest grossing 80s film beyond ET, coming at 22nd and adjusted $829 million. Sheesh. But my actual favorite of the three is by far Last Crusade. Uh, I as much as I respect what Raiders did when it just comes down to personal favorites, the the humor in in Last Crusade is amazing. Sean Connery is phenomenal in it. 
and I, I have to go, I have to bring up two things. Okay, so the first one, let's actually I'm going to just talk Sean Connery for a moment. Uh, while researching, I, I just got you know looking around at things, and I happened to notice Sean Connery's train of movies from 1986 to 1996. And what I'm going to do now is read to you that list of movies, and I'm going to skip, I believe, four of them. Five of them, I'm sorry. Here is that list. Just If you ever want to talk about like accomplishments, starting with The Highlander, which, amazing. Yep. By the way, this is all now post his entire career as James Bond. Okay. <laughs> so this is like... This is, he's already done, he's already been James Bond at the time when like being James Bond was more awesome than being any other thing, right? Yeah. So Highlander, Name of the Rose, The Untouchables, The Presidio, Skipping One, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Family Business, Hunt for Red October, Skipping Another, Skipping Highlander 2, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Medicine Man, So-So, Rising Sun, Just Cause, uh, First Night, Dragonheart, and The Rock. Sheesh. Like, I would rewatch most of those movies right now. Yeah. Maybe not a couple of them. You know, there's definitely some weaker entries near the end of that. But oh my goodness! Yeah, that's a heck of a run, man. That's ten years. Ten years that's of amazing of movies. Wow. But my thing I really wanted to read, and again, I'm just I'm just gonna have to read this one. This was a original uh third entry in the indiana jones trilogy this was what was supposed to be the movie before they decided to make last crusade it was called indiana jones and the monkey king are you ready for the two paragraph plot summary sir oh yeah i'm ready okay this will make more sense if you've seen kingdom of the crystal skull by the way which i have because it's terrible right so <laughs> plot summary it opens in the castle in scotland in 19 19- 37, where Indiana Jones on a fishing trip investigates murders by a ghost, the Baron Seamus Seagrove III. Indiana runs home, where Marcus Brody tells him to aid the zoologist Claire Clark in Africa, who has discovered a 200-year-old pygmy named Tiki. Indiana meets up with her and his old friend Scraggy Briar in Mozambique, and discovers a suicidally love-struck student of his named Betsy is stowed along. The Nazis, led by Lieutenant Mephisto and Sergeant Guterberg, who has a mechanical arm, of course, attack, and despite Indy's best efforts in the ensuing boat chase, Tiki is captured. Still, Tiki gives Indy a scroll which guides him to a lost city via the Zambezi River. There, Indy, Claire, Scraggy, and Betsy enter an uneasy alliance with pirates led by Kazur. The Nazis attack in a giant tank, which Indy manages to rescue Tiki from by using a rhino as his steed. Tiki takes them to the city of Sun Wu King, where it is revealed Tiki is a prince. His father is then killed by the Nazis, and a battle ensues where Indiana is killed by Mephisto. The Nazis are defeated, though, and Tiki takes Indy into a garden of immortal peaches, where Sun Wu King comes to revive Indy. Kizuri eats a peach, but dies because he isn't pure of heart. Sun Wu gives Indy his transforming golden rod, while Betsy decides to stay with Claire. Oh and scene. my gosh. So instead we got Last Crusade. And if you've ever been thankful to have such a movie, you should be just slightly more thankful of the movie you got. So The Last Crusade was my favorite anyway, and it definitely is hearing that. Because that reads a lot more like a Scooby-Doo mystery than it does. I like, mean, there's a scraggy. There's a scraggy. Uh, 
Dude, everything is just at the end. It was like, it's been him all along is all I could hear as you yeah. were literally reading through that. Uh, and the crystal skull is just brutal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that so that's crazy. So was that 89? Crusade that came out? That's right. Made uh, an adjusted 463 million at 114th overall. So less than half as much as Raiders, which which is phenomenal. Um, to think if you think about like a trilogy doing that much worse, that would be like like Endgame having made I don't know, $400 million instead of over a billion um, or over two. I'm sorry. It's uh, it, it's, it's weird when you think about it, you would think, and in this era, you'd think it would have done phenomenally well, especially considering it was a good movie. Yeah. Well, and the reason that I had said that I would consider them as a Shawshank is because all three of them were very good. Like, and you can make an argument for why, like we could talk about why, like how you would list the, the four of them, like, well, that's not true. You could talk about three of them and how you would rank the three of them. <laughs> well, tell, you know, by the way, you know, Temple of Doom is the reason we have the PG-13 rating. Yes, I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. There was something about my childhood watching um, watching a man pull someone's heart out of their own chest that didn't feel so good. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm struggling to think why. Oh, yeah, because it was horrifying. Because it's horrifying. Yeah. They made uh, yeah. the movie as an apology for making the, the other one. It's a great listen. It's a great pick. They're great movies. It's a great. It it was a great franchise, and then it got labuffed, and now it's not. There's a fifth one coming. It's going to be horrible. The quest for more money. Uh, what's number four on your list? So four on my list. Uh, so this is a. So this one is like a, this is definitely a sentimental pick. August twenty second, eighty six. Uh, nominated for best writing, so adapted screenplay. Um, did okay. Only did 52 million domestic gross. It was 146 million adjusted. Uh, stand by me. Ooh. So Ooh. For, for me, um, so first of all, right, this cast is absurd. Insane. Right? So River Phoenix, Will Wheaton, Corey Feldman, there he is again, Jerry O'Connell, Baby Kiefer Sutherland, Richard Dreyfus, and very few people remember a surprise John Cusack. John Cusack is the older brother. He's in the movie for all of like nine seconds. Wow. Um, so I want to call something back that you talked about, Animal House, because I love tying things back to other podcasts we've done. Uh, all these boys lived in a house together. Oh, like for, they the for the movie, for I filming. Do. Um, the, there's lots of like cool stories about this. The, the ones that really stick out to me. So Stephen, there's a Stephen King novel. Stephen King watched the film, uh, after the film ended was visibly shaking, left the room and came back and just looked at Rob Reiner and said, this is the best adaption I've ever seen of any of my work, which is like a really like, and he still, for the most part has said that, um, Obviously, River Phoenix, like this is it's tragedy because River Phoenix was was great, and we still have Joaquin, which is has been an interesting ro- ride. But um, his name his name at the time was Leaf. Was you know Leaf? I, I I I didn't until I started researching this. Um, I think the thing with this movie is so the most interesting fact I found on this is that the boys came like these kids literally came of age on this film. Like there's a bunch of things that happen to them in real life. So this is a little weird, but it's whatever it's, it's out there in the world. So like uh, river Phoenix actually lost his virginity while he was filming this movie and like shared it with the cast. Um, (laughs) 
Jerry O'Connell uh, was out with the roadies at one point at like a, this is like a really famous Hollywood story was like out at like uh, they were out at like a, like it's like a fair. Why can't I think of the word? A carnival kind of deal, like in town and like ate some, yeah, carnies, small hands, smell like cabbage uh, was, and like ate some of the cookies that his roadies guys had and they were pot cookies. And so they found Jerry O'Connell like in a barn, in a stable crying. Like, and he's a kid, he's literally a kid. And then Corey Feldman talks a lot about how like he like, you know, kissed a girl for the first time. And these were like the first friends mm-hmm. that he ever had. Like, it's just kind of cool. So this movie is about right. Rites of passage. And like, as a young boy watching this movie, like it's just really hard not to feel this movie because it's, it's great. And also one of my favorite final scenes of any movie ever is Richard Dreyfus sitting at the computer typing. And the last words he types is I, I, I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12 Jesus does anyone. And then it just, so good. and then just goes into stand by me, the song. So, so good. I love that. It, it's just such like an incredibly strong and powerful movie moment. And uh, it's just such a great film, man. It's like a really, really good movie. And it feels like summer, right? A bunch of boys out in the woods, like trying to figure out what to do and how to live. And it's cool. I love that movie. That's a great pick, sir. Thanks buddy. What's your next one? All right. I'm torn on which order to do these in. Cause again, I don't have a real prescribed order. It's just more how I want to talk about them. I'm going to go with. I'm Batman. Nice. Okay. Which by the way, I'm just going to start by saying was an improvised line. It was not meant to be. I'm Batman. So we'll leave. Oh, it I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, nine, $590 million adjusted 57th uh, of all time. I know that we had Superman in late in 78 and three more in the eighties. And by the way, the Richard Donner cut of Superman two is worth watching. If you, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's much better. There's no, uh, nobody blowing an ice cream cone off the whatever. Uh, I don't even want to describe that scene. It's so ludicrous. What's what I think is the most interesting thing. So I'm going to argue that Batman really kicked off the beginning of the, uh, the comic book into movies and like doing it well and, and sure. taking the taking the genre seriously. My favorite bit of trivia, because again, this is one of those movies that most of the trivia is pretty well out there is that this was Tim Burton's second movie ever. So all that we think about Burton and like the crazy worlds he creates, do you know what his first movie actually was? No, that's what I was just trying to think about. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice was Tim Burton's first movie. And it doesn't make my cut, but it's like, how can how is a movie that amazing your first ever movie? Shouldn't you have made many other movies before making something that good? Yeah. Uh, turns out that that was just good enough. And by the way, it hadn't. He was already doing Batman before we knew if Beetlejuice was a hit or not. So the studio took this huge chance on the guy. And there's all these interviews about him being intimidated by Jack Palance and Jack Nicholson and. By the way, another amazing cast, uh, just oh, yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And what I would argue, I, I still, as much as I loved loved Christian Bale's performance in the in the Nolan trilogy, it's hard for me to not think of Michael Keaton as Batman. It just I can't unsee it. I can't unthink it because you know whatever it was, fifteen year old me went to see Batman in the movie. I was a comic book guy, and it's like here's this Batman movie. 
and a movie that still holds up really well. There's a couple of little bits here and there. Uh, I still never could could really accept the sequences where the Joker's being shot at from point blank and just somehow everything misses him. And yeah. I, get, I get the concept, but it just didn't work for me as a, as a storytelling device. Uh, craziest, funny, like movie stereotype trope thing to watch out for is if you watch the final, you know, 20 minute action sequence, everywhere Batman goes, there are henchmen in his way, but everywhere he's going in that sequence is random twists and turns. So it's one of those, like, it's almost like playing a video game. Like, why are there bat? Why is there someone up in this tower where we never expected Batman would have gone to like, there's three guys here with machine guns that had no reason to be here. Like you can't imagine the plot point where where Joker was like, "All right, you three, go get in that tower." Yeah. <laughs> and they could be like, "Yeah, but that's like four blocks away, and there's really no reason why Batman would come over here." I don't care. I want you held out of this tower. I mean, they they proved also useless. But what were they doing there? So the movie's got to put too many of those. Otherwise, it is just great. And and. I think in many ways defined a lot of what became the summer blockbuster. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm definitely generationally, this is a little bit different because Keaton is Batman, but like I was, I was more into, I was, first of all, I was a Marvel kid. And second of all, like Bale was more, I just, I didn't care as much. I do have, can I give you my like least popular opinion potentially of any movie ever? It's not that you in any way like Batman and Robin, right? You're not going to say that to me, right? No, I'm gonna. I think I might upset you more. Um, while he was a horrible Batman, I think Val Kilmer played one of the better Bruce Waynes. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I got no problem with that. Okay, I, horrible I had, Batman. I had a I had a much softer place in my heart for Batman Forever until a, a, I rewatched it maybe one or two years ago after not having seen it since the '90s. Uh, I regret the rewatch. Um, it, it deserved yeah. its place in nostalgic memory land much more than in active memory land. Yeah. The only good thing to come out of that movie was holy rusted metal Batman. Yes. What a good <laughs> line. What a good <laughs> line. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess this would be your final pick of the decade. This is it. And I think you have it, but we'll see what happens. Probably. I probably have it. It turns out that this wasn't a Christmas movie. Because it came out on July 15th of 1988. But it's a Christmas movie. But it is definitely a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. It's more a Christmas movie than Home Alone's a Christmas movie. I think they're equally Christmas movies. (laughs) Mm, All right, fine. Uh, So yeah, Die Hard, which is great. Yeah, Die Hard is amazing. Grossed 141.5 million, which adjusted is right around 400. Uh, Had a $28 million budget, which surprised me. That's like a big one. Um, the first thing that comes to mind with this man, Alan Rickman is just, was just a treasure. What a treasure. So I'm assuming since we've both done our homework, we're going to have some trading off on trivia bits here. Cause yeah, this is my fifth and I'm not taking it off the list. Cause I have stories to tell also, sir, you know, this was Alan Rickman's first movie. I did. How- and do you know that he, and he almost didn't want to take it because he didn't want to be a villain. That's right. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then that is, by the way, what have you got a little typecast? He's changed. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's fun about Rickman is the Rickman Willis meetup scene yeah. was never rehearsed. Yes. Which well, I didn't know, which I thought was fun. Uh, okay. Okay, also, just as a quick side note, can we agree Hans Gruber is one of the best cinematic names of all time? All time. Yeah. It's it's more than good enough. It's like Alexander, good enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> blonde haired villain who was yeah. tangled and then shouldn't have been. Uh, do you know that he was a trained uh, ballet dancer? I didn't. Yes, he was. He was a famous Russian ballet uh, ballet. I don't know. What's the male ballerina? Is it male ballerina? I think, I think you're still just ballerinas. Okay. Um, and uh, this was one of his two main acting roles. The other one being the money pit with Tom Hanks. Uh, oh, yeah. He passed away at a young age, unfortunately. But oh, I, I, I loved uh, it. He made that movie more than good enough. He made it good enough. Good enough. Uh, so my my other favorite. So I have two pieces. My, my the two other like random trivia things that really got Sir, me. Excited. You you get one at a time because we are we are back and forth in this one. I hear you. So this is this is my my favorite one. Okay. The German version. Do you know what I'm going to say next? No. This is so fun. I love this piece of trivia so much. The German version was super different. Hans' name was Jack, and Carl became Charlie, and Henrik became Henry, and the new background depicted all of them as radical Irish activists. Why? <laughs> and so if you watch the German version of this film, there are plot holes everywhere. Wow. I did not know that. That's a good one. All right, I got a bit of trivia for you that I think you're going to like because I have a hunch you did not follow this little weird thread on the internet. Do you remember Ellis? Yes. Ellis is like the obnoxious coke head guy. Yeah. It's played by a man named Hart Bachner. Does that name ring a bell in any way? Not even remotely. Well, I've referenced the movie before named Breaking Away. He was in that movie uh, as uh, just a small part. But much more interesting... And I, I, I just, I, w- I should be recording the video of this just for this moment. He directed a movie that you absolutely love, and you don't know what it is. Ellis from Die Hard was the director of PCU. <gasps> no way! <laughs> oh, that's so good. And by the way, oh, that's basically that's- all he ever really did. I mean, actually, he's had a, he's had a nice career and all, but that was like. Oh, that's it. In true PCU fashion, I'm going to give that a woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, if you were wearing a Nakatomi Plaza shirt right now, I could do the oh, wait, you're wearing the shirt from the movie you're going to see? Don't yeah, be that guy. Don't be that guy. That is so good. No, I did not know that at all. That's very exciting. I knew I would make you happy with that one, by the way. I just, I, I knew it. And I've known that bit of trivia for a while now. So it's just, <laughs> it's just a special, special happy place for me. <laughs> Um, uh, so I'm going to give you one that is going to be funny for you and your whole family. And it's going to be another podcast callback. Uh, do you know what all of the office interiors of this movie were designed to look like? I I read that too. I I did not know it before today, but it's falling water. Yeah. Falling waters (laughs) or farting water. If you're you're one of the (laughs) Tillman's, um, I assume you noticed that this is uh, this was Bruce Willis's first action movie. Was it really? Yeah, Bruce Willis to this point was just a TV actor on this show, Moonlighting, which I used to actually watch regularly. But right. would never, you would never ever remember. This is like the end of the Schwarzenegger, Stallone, big action movie kind of kind of era, and the beginning of the slightly more cerebral, slightly more plot heavy. Um, so Bruce Willis 
Uh, not only that, he was paid an outrageous sum at the time. It was like $5 million, right? Wasn't it $5 million? Yeah. But it was significant because nobody knew if he could carry the movie. Nobody knew if action movies like this would work. So what's interesting that I learned, and I didn't know this at all, I knew he was on Moonlighting. I knew that's like what be, what got him to be a thing. But he was filming Moonlighting during the filming of this, right. which made them do a bunch of rewrites. And so a bunch of other characters got more screen time because they had to fill time out where Willis couldn't film, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. Um, I have one more really interesting fact. Go for it. So this was what I wrote down as the most interesting. So De Niro's the reason Willis got this because they offered it to De Niro and De Niro turned it down. And at the exact same time as that happened, Willis turned down the role of Jonathan Mardakis for Midnight Run, which De Niro did take instead of this role. So that role wound up going to Charlie Gort or Charlie Groden. And then that film came out the exact same weekend as Die Hard. And is one of my all-time favorite movies. Which is crazy because like there's a parallel universe where De Niro is McLean and Willis is Mardakis and Groden doesn't get that job. And the entire, both, like the whole thing is completely different. And I'd almost wager that both films fail. Probably, yeah. So a, a couple of, uh, I do have a couple more trivia things. I do want to share a couple of personal moments about this movie. So I saw oh, this yeah. in theaters opening night. I also saw this in theaters opening night plus one. And that's why it's on my list. This was the first time ever. I think it actually might've been the first movie I went to alone, like, or with friends and came out so blown away. Like you have to remember people talk about like speed is diehard on a bus and this is diehard on a submarine and diehard on a vet. There wasn't a diehard in a building before diehard. There was nothing, anything like this. Right. And you can't coming out of that movie. I was just, I literally went, I was like, I've got to go see that again. And I went the next night, saw it again, waited in lines. It was insane. I had such a love for this movie. I mean, the scene with the uh, the fire hose, like just imagine. Remember, this is an era where like where trailers gave a, gave away a lot less. Yeah. So you knew that scene was coming, but you had no idea what was going on, why it was coming. Like it was amazing. That's awesome. Second personal bizarre anecdote: on a random rewatch, I happened to watch Die Hard within maybe a week of watching Blues Brothers. Now, do you know who Argyle is in Die Hard? Mm, no. one of those minor characters he was the sh- the limo driver oh yeah love that guy yeah yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't know our guy was in there so jt i'm watching die hard with my friends you know and i see this character and i'm like i recognize that face i have just seen that face in some movie i've just watched and it turns out and, and i just went looking and this is pre-internet so there's no imdb to just be like one click who is this guy it turns out that the actor named Devereaux White, and by the way, I called this because I eventually got it from memory, was the shoplifting kid in the Blues Brothers that Ray Charles shoots at. That is such a deep pull. It came to me, and like I was with friends. I mean, I still remember that moment being like, that's the guy, Blues Brothers. That's where that guy's from. He was in Blues yeah. Brothers 10 years earlier as, this, as, a, as a kid. And sure enough, we pulled out the Blues Brothers VHS tape. Sure. Fast forwarded along to the, to that scene. Actually, we probably just watched the whole movie, but we got to that scene, and sure enough, I was right. Devereaux White. Thank you, Devereaux, for a nice performance. That is crazy. So here's what I want to do because I have a list of 13 films. 
that I wrote, which is narrowed down. I've narrowed it down to 13 where I was like, these are the 13-ish. I can do less. I could do more. But the reason that it leads perfectly into it for me, so why don't we go one and one if you're cool with it? Because my very first one, because I started from the, from the timing of it, was Blues Brothers because it came out on June 29th of 1980. All right. I got Blues Brothers. Uh, I'll, I'll see your Blues Brothers and I'll go Airplane. You know what's funny? I intentionally left that off. I, I love Airplane, but like it just for some reason it didn't it didn't make the list for me. I don't know why. Um, right. Weird Science didn't make my list, but it's a good movie. Saw it in theaters. Uh, Caddyshack. I, I didn't even write it down because I thought it was going to be in your top five. No problem. Coming to America. Nice, love it, love it a lot. Um, Dirty Dancing. Oh, was that a summer thing? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, this one I can't believe neither of us had, but it 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 didn't meet the criteria. It met the criteria, but didn't meet it enough. Spaceballs. Un- understandable. Uh, yep. The Karate Kid. Okay, RoboCop. Nice. Yeah, it's on. It's on here. Uh, Never Ending Story. Full Metal Jacket. Big. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Tron. Willow. Aliens. Aliens was 79. Alien was 79. Aliens. Aliens. So then the the last one for me, I have two more, but the only one that I want to say, and this is a sentimental favorite because it doesn't belong as a summer blockbuster, but Dead Poet Society. Mm. So what we're going to, you're going to just skip Blade Runner? Didn't like Blade Runner. Mm. You're going to skip Road Warrior and or Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Yes. You're going to skip uh, Running Man? No, that's a mistake. You're going to skip Predator? <laughs> I thought Predator. I must have missed Predator. Lethal Weapon 2, which we sort of mentioned, but definitely. So Lethal Weapon 2, I had put into the Lethal Weapon camp. Fair enough. Uh, wasn't actually one of my picks, but um, Cocktail deserves to be in consideration for these kind of lists. Do you know what I just realized is that you didn't pick one of the ones that I thought was Shawshankable. Which is? Back to the Future. Uh, Back to the Future didn't come out in the right time frame. It was, uh, I think, December or something. No, Back to the, the very first Back to the Future was released on my birthday, July 3rd, 1985. You sure? I'm, I'll, I'll look it's, right now. My movies that were in my list, but, but I had to eliminate because they were released in the wrong time. Maybe I Googled wrong. I don't know. Uh, by the way, uh, Gremlins, also a summer. I have Gremlins down, yeah. And then uh, Back to the Future was released on July 3rd, 1985, literally my birthday. I don't know what happened because I remember looking at it and being like, oh, bummer, and then moving on. Because that, that one I thought was maybe Shawshankable because Back to the Future part, Back to the Future and Part 2 are both in the 80s, but then Part 3 was 90. But no, you're anyway. totally right. It's uh, absolutely right. I, I just didn't realize. I, 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 again, it's in, I somehow put in the wrong list. And then I also I had UHF down too. I love UHF. <laughs> I love UHF. <laughs> also, a movie that I don't. I think you'd have trouble making, but so so many good moments. This yeah, it's a, it's like a it's a very oddly quotable movie. It's a great movie. Stanley yeah. Spadowski is yeah all time great character. And then the other one that I that I thought maybe you would have, although it was not a thing for me, and I think it was a summer movie, is Fast Times. Um, I. Th- if I'm uh, Fast Times wasn't a, I love it, but I was I was actually too young for it at the time. If that makes it's sense, early '80s, right? That's yeah. like '83, maybe. 
Yeah, a lot of mine really come down to things I saw and loved. You know, it biased my list. By the way, the ones that were really high consideration uh, and and the one that amazes me that sort of is not in the list is Top Gun. Because Top Gun sort of... It would, it would make sense. However, I have an aversion to Tom Cruise. Right. <laughs> uh, so the, the ones that were my serious, serious considerations were Tron and Karate Kid um, and Dirty Dancing were kind of my three... I really have a lot of love for these movies. I've actually been meaning to show my kids Tron because I think they're the right age for it now. But I, I also want to give a nod to one other movie that that I don't really know how I'm going to broach this, but I think is, is worthy in this space, even though the revenue wasn't there, et cetera, uh, which is Do the Right Thing. Um, oh, yeah. That, that, it's actually 89. I think most people think of it as a 90s movie and really, really changed things up in a lot, a lot of ways. Uh, and it's a great movie. Um seen it a few times obviously and and launched spike lee's career to to an amazing extent yeah that one like um if we do like at some point we'll probably do like a cultural impact sort of top five and like that one is very high on that list i think yeah by the way i withhold i decided the last minute here i'm not telling you a couple of the others because i think we are going to have to do that five movies we secretly love but the other person's probably never even heard of or seen yeah kind of thing so i that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, I have other I have other stuff that didn't like I like my list was longer, but a lot of it like I I I wound up the way I got this narrowed down was by framing it very specifically in the does this feel like a summer movie or not, and that that narrowed the list for me. Fair enough, and uh, I don't know if I did as good a job on that as you. <laughs> I think. Listen, I think we both did did well. All right, look, Jared. Let's. Uh, this has been a long one, but it's been worth it. So let's fly through the. What was your favorite thing on Wingman this week? Um. Uh. Gil Fulbright, honest politician. <laughs> um, I just love it. Although the the Lego NES thing is super sentimentality, especially if we're talking eighties. But sure. as far as just an absolute like the thing, uh, Gil Fulbright. I mean, what, what was it? what's the uh, fill up my mouth with farts? <laughs> fill up my mouth with farts. How, yeah. how do you get better than that? You don't. You don't. How about you? Uh, I think uh, I'll give. Uh, I also will have two uh, pentatonics. I'm just a sucker for anything with, with music, and pentatonics covering covering Billie Eilish and covering my favorite Billie Eilish song was great. Um, and then honestly, capturing the Elephant Trunk uh, Nebula was like it was stunning. Like I just didn't know that was a thing, and it was like it was really kind of a really cool. I was like, oh, that's really pretty. And also, I should probably know more about space. Also, like the guy doing it on his own in his backyard. And granted, that's clearly some serious gear he's got. But still, the notion that like that wasn't the Hubble. That was a dude in his backyard with some good gear. Yeah, that's just like that's a hobbyist. Like that's just like a a really like into it hobbyist. You could be that dude in your backyard with that gear. And you could be seeing pictures of Nebula every night. I could. Not going to happen. No, I'm only seeing Nebula if I watch more Disney+. Plus. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, what are you excited for this week, Jer? Uh, this coming week, well, I'm, I, I sent you a couple of picks. I've started working on a backyard treehouse for the kids. Uh, this is the week it will be at least at, um, it'll be fully operational. Um, right now it's you know 15 or so feet off the ground with no guardrails, so it's sort of a death trap. But yeah. But I'm having a lot of fun building it. Uh, I enjoy that. I, I only need a little bit of help at the foundation level to just because I just didn't have a couple of the tools that you need, but that most of it's my own design, my own work, you know, sweat, blood, tears, all that. And it's fun. Like, uh, you know, I'm already looking at it like uh, that's the thing I'm doing. That's cool. 
Yeah, that's awesome. We are uh, in my house. We're getting ready for starting homeschooling next week because we we can. So I've been doing a lot of like uh, pianoing and guitaring because it's too hot to be outside sometimes, and uh, the beaches are covered right now with all the wrong people. So <laughs> we are uh, we're going to do some inside stuff. Aren't but, they always? Anyhow, yeah, I, uh... yeah. But this is listen, Jared. This has been. Uh, th- I'm I am terrified. Actually, you know what I'm excited for next week? I'm excited for spending four to seven hours trying to figure out how to get 90s movies into a top five. Because this took me an embarrassing amount of time to get the 80s done. I just assume you started that one a couple of weeks ago because of how much work it's going to be. You're going to be crying. You're going to be like, you're going to have headaches. It's going to be awful. I have actual dread. We might not even be able to talk for a certain period of time. I don't know. It's going to be hard. I'm really nervous. Well, uh, once again, uh, it's been a great. I agree. This is this is my this is my. I could talk about this all day, but uh, instead, I think what I'm going to go do is get another treehouse beer and go up to my uh, my treehouse there and do some work. Sounds perfect, Jeremy. You have a great week, and thanks for letting us be your wingman, everybody. Hey.